Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 479 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Alex Clark and Lee Stewart of Stardust Collective to chat about their space-bound disaster aversion VR game, Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures. Or, more to the point, Ziggy's not-so-good Cosmic Adventures, because poor Ziggy, he gets pulled through the mill, to say the least. Now, this game is really about you managing chaos, spinning plates all of the time, desperately trying to make sure that as you're making your way through space, fighting zombies and all sorts of things, zombies, aliens, space pirates, all sorts of stuff. While that's happening, the the ship you're in, the little podule, this tiny, tiny little vessel, is constantly breaking down all of the time. It's... It's in constant need of care and attention. It's not in a good state. And that's what Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures is all about. It's really averting disaster, which is always on the brink of happening. Fantastic game. Really loved it. Kind of come out of nowhere for me late last year. And it's wonderful having Alex and Lee on the show to chat about its creation. So let's stop, you know, babbling about and just move on to the... Main event, shall we? Chris, please, take it away. Hello, Alex and Lee. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Well, could you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, sure. So I'll start, I guess. I'm Alex, and uh, well, obviously why we're here is we just made Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures, so I'm obviously a game developer, but in that I am primarily programmer, but obviously being an indie team, we bounce a couple of roles on our heads, so we have marketing and design in there as well for me. Yeah, and I'm Lee, another part of Stardust Collective. I am the artist of the game. I did all the art. I designed Ziggy, most of the game design, the cockpit layout. All of that's on me, as well as general management of the projects. That's your fault, okay? <laughs> Especially that, that hammer. Nice work. Thanks. <laughs> so, again, in order of uh, Alex and Lee, tell us how did you make your start making video games? Sure. So I think I probably started like at school, you know, doing... um scratch and stuff just as a bit of fun 
but I started more like after um, during uni, getting bored in lectures, so just making like little small games. And then eventually um, we did a game jam. This was the GMTK game jam in 2020. And this was like immediately after graduating uni. And that's sort of what started this game and also started the studio. Yep. And I've been in the industry for over a decade now, working in AAA uh, across a variety of studios. I got started going to school, like a lot of people, getting into game art because I really like art. I was always into it as a kid. Um, and it was a pretty natural progression to go from, you know, uh, my 2D drawings into 3D and then getting a job in the industry. Yeah, I guess I should mention um, the university, I did do computer science. So that was the programming part of that. Yeah. Okay. Next question, then, and this could be answered in a collective way or individually. What do you believe are your biggest influence? Um, I think, like, we, you know, for, there's, like, for the game, we draw quite a uh, wide range of influences. Um, there's a lot of games we look at and we look at, okay, how did they do this? How can we um, take what they've done well and stuff like that? I think one of the big ones for that, which I think is true for a lot of VR games, just because of the size and uh, polish in it, is Half-Life Alex. We look at a lot of the interactions and general design of that in terms of how we design lots of the um, early interactions. But also in terms of VR, there's um, games like uh, I Expect You to Die in terms of their like fun interaction design. But I think on the space side, Lee can talk a bit more on that. Yeah. So our biggest inspiration, um, yeah, I'm a huge Nintendo nerd. I've been that way since I was a kid. So if my, my personal influence is Nintendo games. Um, you know, they make high quality things that are really fun, accessible for everybody. So Star Fox, um, growing up with that, um, you know, I really liked what they did, but that hasn't really evolved um, in a considerable amount of time. So we took a look at Star Fox and like, what can we do that they've done, but hopefully better and in VR with all of our extra things on top. So that comes down to like the mission structure, the types of characters in our game and how you unlock different paths, you know, the arcadiness of it. So that was probably one of our biggest influences and the design of like our worlds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's fair. It's just drawing from other creative efforts and then building on them. Standing on the shoulders of giants, is, that's mm-hmm. fair. So, next question. But what video game developer do you admire most and why? Yeah, I guess um, it's a difficult one because I often think more of the game than necessarily the team because obviously you see the game first. But I think, yeah, it would be like Valve in terms of obviously their efforts, although they're a weird company, so make weird decisions sometimes. And then there's also uh, Supergiant games. Do I mean Supergiant or Supermassive? I always get them mixed up. But the uh, Pyre and uh, Hades and stuff, yeah. Often mentioned when I meant when I asked this question by many guests, and rightly so. What about you, Lee? Uh, yeah, I mean, being a Nintendo guy, Shigeru Miyamoto is like the first influence I ever had. He's the guy that made a game that I really liked and made me want to make games. So he's the inspiration for you know my entire career, basically. Past that, Eiji Aonuma, you know, under him, the entire Zelda team. But aside from those two, uh, Hideo Kojima, um, I really admire his attention to detail, the worlds he builds, and that's something that I want to bring into the productions that I make. You know, in Ziggy, there's a tremendous amount of detail that, you know, that we can interact with the cockpit um, and our worlds, something that I'm trying to, uh, to push as far as I can, much in the same way he does with his games. So, last question of the first half. Here we are. What are you playing right now? There's, there's, you know, there's some small games which I'll like dip into. Like recently, I played a uh, Hacknet, which is this um, sort of hacking game where you're it's all like sort of text based and console based. 
but I always come back to the games that I've had hundreds or maybe thousands of hours in. Like uh, Dota Two is quite a quite quite a number of hours sunk into that game. Yeah, and myself, I mean, we've been mostly playing Ziggy and bug fixing and testing the game. Um, so outside of that, um, I recently just finished Bug Fables, a small indie game. I uh, got Super Mario RPG that just was delivered today that might date this podcast a little bit. So I'm looking forward to that. Ori and the Will of the Wisp. I'm just going through my, my Steam thing here. Deathloop, uh, all in the last couple months. The Super Mario RPG. Hmm. Yeah, I remember playing that on the Wii when they released it eventually over here. But yeah, bit of a short one. It's fun. It's nice. So that's the end of the first half. Let's uh, move on to the second half of the show where we shall be delving deep. Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures. Zero's question, what is Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures? Yeah, so Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures is this VR game, single-player VR game, where you're flying through these hazardous space environments at the same time as managing your spaceship cockpit. You've got to do things like shoot down the enemies that are trying to shoot you down, try to navigate your way through asteroids or maybe through a planet, and eventually try to take down... Actually, maybe... uh, where am I going with this? Um, and yeah, and, and eventually try to take down the foes that are trying to get back Ziggy that you stole. So Ziggy's the other very important part of the game that you have stolen or maybe just liberated, depending upon how you're reading the narrative. And Ziggy's this cute little green creature that is with you of your adventure and is also fueling up your ship. He is from the outset and he's there on your dashboard which from the ship that you're acquiring. For reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I do love, love it. The opening scenes, not a spoiler, where the AI realises that this ship does not belong to you because it asks you for a passcode and like, I have no idea. And you just type one in and it freaks out and all hell breaks loose. The game does feature a sort of a kinetic repair mechanic, which is basically getting a hammer and hitting things. It's very satisfying. 
Yeah, but, it did used to be a this like gun that you used to shoot, sort of like a screwdriver, right? The, uh, or like well, elect, like electric hammer uh, drill. Yeah, we. I took a bit of inspiration in the game jam because uh, I just finished playing Subnautica at the time, and they mm. have a little repair tool that you can aim at stuff and click a button. It didn't feel very good because you just point and click, and in VR you just point your finger and that was it. So we just changed it to be a little bit more percussive in its maintenance. Yeah, more fun. Yeah, there is. Um... Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, which is another VR game that has a multi-tool, but it's very precise and you've got to do screwdrivers and do welding and all sorts of... It's a very different tool, very different thing in a very, very, very different game. So, but there's, other than that, yeah, kind of the same, right? No. Now, my first design question. Here we go. There's definitely a sense of plate spinning, the only way to describe it, in Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures. Basically, you're, you're constantly monitoring the state of your plates whether it's air, temperature, fuel, guns, stability, <laughs> all of these things, everyone, you have to monitor. Some need more, more monitoring than others. And you very quickly, rapidly realise what needs more care and attention than others. I've found a temperature that kind of then it looks after itself. But initially, initially, I know it gets out of hand later on, but then you find air and lighting like, oh, my God, what? Again? God, you're so, so ravenous. And end up putting loads of batteries in just to stop from having to manage that stuff. So that all that balance. But I just have to ask, at what point did you find the tipping point where there was too much features for features' sake to the point where the player is no longer really engaging with the outside of the ship at all? And, they had to, and that's a problem because it has to be a balance because there has to be a reason for them to be inconvenienced and stressed. And I say stressed in a positive way, everyone, not a negative way, because that's, that's excitement stress, not anxiety stress. So, well, how did you find that? Well, how did you find that very careful balance? So I think you've done a really good job. You could easily get it wrong, but with, with Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures, you've really nailed it, the fine balance between the greater point and the micro point. Talk us through that. Yes, yeah, so I think one of the things is that we ran out of space in the cockpit to fit more interactions in, more different things to do. We sort of decided, okay, we're going to have this VR um, play space, which is sort of designed for standing, but it works great at sitting down. But the place, the general VR standing play space is like one, two meter, like one and a half meters by one and a half meters, sort of. So that's the shape of the cockpit, and that's the shape of everything inside the cockpit. And so we, there's no more space to add more interactions, but there is a lot of tweaking we do to make sure that there isn't too much going on especially in the beginning this is something we're still obviously working on in the balance but for example the pressure doesn't uh, go off in the first level and in a number of the and a couple of the other levels it goes off a lot less often compared to later levels where we start it to um pops where this is the where you then so when i say something pops it means we, it's like how we say that we now have to deal with this system so this the pressure puzzle pops more often in later levels where you should be more accustomed to this particular interaction and that's similar to things like the sliders the oxygen sliders these are little uh, sliders that you move with your fingers and you have to line them up this is something this is something that we decided to do where we could have made the required where you have to have these always in line but this is one of the ones where we decided okay you can do this you cannot do this in order to try to have that feeling of like there's something to do but you don't need to do it there was also some interactions where we wanted them to maybe be more where we initially designed them to maybe be more impactful for example, the life support. There's a series of buttons that you press underneath the life support to turn on the display again after you run out of energy. Previously, 
we thought of designing this so you had to do these this input of buttons in order to re-enable oxygen entirely which meant you had to do this before before you started breathing again which again is quite important so this was one of the things where we decided we will make it so it is just the display which means it's still an important thing you might want to do is it gives you important information but it's not as required and it's not quite as urgent as it might need to be i think yeah the big thing was trying to make the um and it's also been a lot of play testing in terms of a lot of these things were a lot more urgent before and a lot more higher drain rates and it's still something that we're obviously working on but we've got a much better point now where it isn't as overwhelming as it has been, especially <laughs> in the early playtests. Yes, you can have a ship full of Ziggies if you're not careful, and and cake and hamburgers, like and and drained batteries and death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should also mention that a lot of our systems are completely optional. Um, players don't need to interact with them. If you don't want to use your shields, you can just use the hammer more. Um, you don't have to create bombs you don't have to use your gun overdrive you don't have to do any of that if you don't choose to you can keep the lights off the entire time which means you don't need to use a battery if you're familiar enough with the cockpit um so that takes a lot of the pressure off which is something that isn't really telegraphed to the player they need to figure that out as they play through the game be like oh you know what i don't need to worry about that because i won't die if i don't pay attention to it um but yeah it was definitely a challenge to make sure that you know we weren't like the original design of the game was mostly cockpit management with a small subset of flying, but then we made a nice flying system that was super fun. And we're like, okay, well now we got to like, you know, make that 50, 50, the experience. Um, so we put a, a lot less pressure on the cockpit. The player had time to just fly around. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the, another example of this uh, reducing systems is we have the stabilizer at the back of the cockpit, which when it pops, you have to, you can't, when it pops, you can't fly the ship straight when you're not holding onto the, uh, onto the flight stick. Previously, it would not fly straight even if you're holding onto the flight stick, which made controlling the ship very difficult. But we decided um, that it would be a bit nicer to the player if when it pops, it was just affecting when you're not holding onto the, sh- the flight stick. And it also affected the gravity. So the gravity can turn on and off depending upon whether the stabilizer is popped. And... Uh, and yeah, it's been a lot of uh, it's been a lot of iteration for sure. This does lead me on, really, because you mentioned about the relationship with the, the flight model and how that improved over time. I just want to ask you in uh, Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures the relationship between what's going on externally from the ship versus internally. Now, speaking for myself, I found a, I spent because this is how I play games like this. I like stability and calm within my own environment before I go off. And exploring off and shooting off does mean I my pace of play is quite slow, but I'm happy with that because I like the experience. Everyone has their own way of doing it. It's slower, yes, but at least everything works. <laughs> so all I have to say is, can you tell us the relationship, the evolving relationship between what's going on externally to the cockpit and internally? Because you hinted that earlier, but just expand on that for us, please. Yeah. Um, originally, we didn't have much uh, interplay between the external cockpit and uh, the cockpit itself. And we kind of solved this design problem by introducing pickups. So if you're good enough and you know where they are in the levels, you actually don't need to generate ziggies to make more batteries. You can ignore that by finding them throughout the levels um, and you know picking them up in your mailbox. That would be the only interaction you need to do. 
So another uh, thing that we added early on was the points, which plays into our trophy system and high scores, part of the arcadey nature of the game. By having enemies give you a set amount of points instead of just being enemies for the sake of enemies, it provides an incentive for the player to replay the levels to go for a higher score to uh, unlock you know, our bronze, silver, gold, and cosmic trophies uh, that the player can get in their cockpit, which will unlock cosmetic rewards, which aren't there yet. That's the thing we are adding post-launch, but it is in, in the works right now. Yeah, and I think the other, the big thing is it, as you, it can interact, like if you get better at flying, it means sometimes you don't have to do as much management or it, because it depends how you want to play. So if you are shooting down more enemies, then you won't need to use your shields as much or you won't need to repair as much. If you are flying through the levels faster, then that means that you don't need as much life support because that's a time-based system where it's always ticking down. So if you're just stopped, then that does mean that it's uh, you're not making any progress with that battery that is being consumed. This is sort of an issue sometimes with the balance that we've had to wrangle with because the fact that it means that people are, are worse at the game are then having more difficult time because they're having to deal with these systems more than we would have expected when we're playing because we're managing to blast through these levels a lot faster. And it is something we've, we've tried to address. Like one of the things I think before is that our engines would be a constant rate where if you're going at double speed, it'll be double energy. But I think we changed that. So if you're going double speed, it was a bit more drain to try to make it so it wasn't as punishing to be going as slower. Um, so that was something that we did do there. And I think the other big thing is, yeah, it's, um, if you're, yeah, so in some of the levels, there's also external influences on the cockpit. For example, in one of the levels, it's very, very hot. And so that's where you've got to affect the temperature more. And if you go towards the hot parts of the level, that's going to make you even hotter. So part of the flying is trying to fly to uh, less hot areas so you don't have to interact with the inside as much which would then also overheat your guns, uh, which means you can't shoot. And on the flip side, we have a level that's cold and freezes the ship. So by shooting your guns lots and then venting that heat back into your cockpit, you can heat up your cockpit without even having to interact with the temperature system. So it's using the level itself to impact the immediate gameplay within the cockpit. I want to talk about a tutorial now, which is very extensive in Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures really, really is, and uh, does go through. In fact, the AI just takes you through all the bits and pieces, and it can be quite overwhelming deliberately because he does it. It's like then he got this, then he got this, then he got this, and, don't, and just do this like what? And it's really clever how you make you know ramp up again positive anxiety of the player. Like I'm going to die. Yep, probably it's fine. And um, but what I, what I love about um, the game is really how you discover things by yourself. You don't tell them. You give them the mechanics, but it's the discovery aspect of it. So tell us, when designing that tutorial, which is really well done, I know how hard it is to make really good ones, but Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures has a really good tutorial. Tell us, how have you found reining in telling them the player too much? So I think one of the things is that anything that we don't tell the player is not required to beat the game. That's one of the things we want to make sure. So we're trying to teach everything that you you will need to know this in order to beat the game, but not try to tell them too much necessarily, partly because of length of tutorial. It's already pretty lengthy as it is right now. Um, but partly also because we found that people really enjoyed looking through all their different like uh, drawers and cupboards inside of the ship. And so we wanted to keep some of that in there, some of the discovery in terms of, oh, what's going to be in this drawer? What's going to be behind this cupboard? 
And that's sort of like a little bit of discovery there. But there's also in the gameplay side, it's difficult to teach people like the fact that it's difficult on the gameplay side to necessarily teach them, hey, you don't need to use your shields. It's sort of if people have shields, they're going to want to turn them on. But I think it's a nice learning moment for them when they flick the switches off and they were like, oh, I don't maybe I'll turn this on later. So I think that giving that discovery was something that we did, people did enjoy. And so we kept in. Yeah, our tutorial is a bit front loaded in the design. You go through it once and then you're in the game. And then there's not much more in terms of tutorialization after that. We do solve that via system of barks that once something goes wrong, a character will tell you, hey, go address this thing, um, which is actually kind of the design. We don't want to either take a really long time, make sure that the player totally has a tutorial down pat to where they don't need to think about it anymore. But as they play the game, again, lots of those systems aren't really needed. The core systems in the first level are moving forward, navigating your ship a little bit, and powering up your engines. The three main things which we spend the most time in the tutorial doing. Outside of that, you know, the tutorial teaches you a lot, which you probably will forget, but you'll figure it out because our interactions are pretty broad and mechanical, and you know, each one has a very unique interaction as well, uh, which was something we definitely prioritized um, in the ship's design. So then the player wouldn't have to, like, oh, this is similar to that thing. How did that one work? No, it's like, this is this thing. It does this action. I know that because it's the only one that does that. It does a really good job of that. But one of the things that I really want to emphasize is the tactical play, is the the amount of times very early on I went, I need to make lots of food, don't I? <laughs> so I just sat there drifting in space, pumping out loads of food, piling it around me and going, Ziggy's not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know finding there's a there's a there's a thing there's a meter on Ziggy's little chamber that uh that it tells you how much energy he's got left in him and uh yeah I don't like when he when he passes out because I've over 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 you know extracted from him it makes me sad so <laughs> I you know all these sort of things managing that resource and consumption was the something that's not explained at all and it's great because it's like you figure it out Here's the his mechanics. You can figure out the optimum way of dealing with that. And everyone has their own way of doing it. And for me, Ziggy doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a feature we brought in because our playtesters early on didn't want to kill Ziggy. Originally we would the only option was to actually extract Ziggy until there was nothing left. And people are like, that is so cruel. He's too cute. Why would you do that? You guys are monsters. So we're like, okay, well, maybe you got something there. So we added in the entire feeding mechanic to make sure that you don't actually have to extract Ziggy for all he's worth. No, although sometimes it does happen and you do have to get rid of him, otherwise things, bad things happen. I won't say what, but yeah, the green mist starts to appear and it's, it's not good. But yeah, really, really clever stuff. So last question, and this is definitely something for Lee, I think, this one. But I found the... It's fascinating how you did this because it's a VR game, as we openly said, but you can mess with the viewing angle in VR games, contrary to popular belief. And it feels distorted. The switches seem a little bit too big. Um, it feels like the, the, the it's like it's almost claustrophobic in Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures. This feeling of enclosure and it's sort of bearing down on you. Not too much, but there's definitely a sense of a distorted view. Could you tell us how this came about and why it's there? Yeah. Um, are you talking about like the actual field of view of the lens, or are you talking about the cockpit layout and how we frame the outside world? It's the former, so the relationship between the player and the cockpit itself and how they view it. Um, so I think part of that actually is 
driven by the interactions. So like we don't want small buttons if that's sort of the thing. We talk about in terms of like things seeming a bit weirdly sized. Um, we don't want small buttons because they're a lot harder to press. And so we want big chunky buttons that you can press with your finger or you can slap down really hard. And that's sort of similar with also our switches. We sort of have them definitely oversized compared to what a normal light switch would be. But that makes it a lot easier in the VR interaction in order to, again, you know, use a finger or you can slap it down with your entire hand. There is also, um, some people say about not being able to see too much out of the cockpit window, which may be also sort of coming into that, um, which Lee can talk about. Yeah, so the claustrophobia of the cockpit was basically a necessity because most players don't have large play spaces to begin with. My place where we started developments had a very small living space where I had my setup. So I had to make sure that I wouldn't smack my walls and put holes in them uh, when I was, you know, designing everything. So everything was within arm's reach, basically. The cockpit window itself, I know a lot of players, uh, and especially new players to VR, they do get motion sick. So the frame of the cockpit itself, the window extends fairly far into the distance. The player doesn't go that far, but it helps to provide a reference point around them. Uh, as well as a lot of our systems, the shield system and our uh, system information display are pushed further ahead to help frame in the action. It does cut off a little bit of the play space view, but most of the action is centered on the screen anyway. So that's the reason why it may feel a bit claustrophobic is to help with some VR sickness, but also because that information is fairly relevant to the player by having them you know, stand in the center of the cockpit and have those systems further out, they can easily see them without having to spin around and look away from the, you know, where they're actually flying. Yeah, I think the, well, one of the other big things in terms of the uh, cockpit view is the fact that we have so much inside the cockpit that sort of eats, it slowly as well starts to eat into the, the outside view as well. Okay. I do think that really adds to the experience and really helps. And It makes a lot of sense that you have these big oversized switches and rather than touch pads and buttons, buttons within buttons that would make no sense in the context of the game and there has to be some conceit there that's fine it adds to the experience of course there is of course floating ziggies everywhere so if you're not careful right ziggies cosmic adventures it's been developed by stardust collective names right where's that come from it's a great name so we're david bowie fans uh the reference might be a bit obvious with ziggy stardust yeah, that's pretty much it. We had to make a fun space theme to our game, and you know, uh, he kind of had a, a great name going for him. Uh, so, but like Stardust itself, you know, we're we're yeah. making a space game. That makes sense. Uh, it was meant to be a temporary name. All of this was, but it actually just stayed with it for the production. Okay, well, we can't change it now. We're we're too attached to him. <laughs> so we kept it. Yeah. For reference, the uh, in the game jam. Ziggy was also called Ziggy. The overall game name was Ziggy and the Not So Good Adventures Through the Cosmos. So a bit more <laughs> of a, a bit more of a mouthful. Um, so we slimmed that down slightly. We do have uh, in the game, like we call it Ziggy's Cosmic Adventure, but on the logo itself, it says Ziggy's Not So Good Cosmic Adventure. You can read that how you want. If it's it's Ziggy's perspective, sometimes it won't actually be that good. Kind of no. like Conquer's Bad Fur Day, right? In yeah. That, in that vein. I must confess, I did leave the one that's on the dashboard alone. Like, no, you stay there. You're fine. You're the original Ziggy. Leave you alone. We do other... have an yeah, we do have an achievement for keeping that original Ziggy alive throughout the entire <laughs> run. <Yeah. laughs> oh, it's yeah. challenging. It's challenging. It is. Especially if you lose gravity in the ship, and then all the Ziggies start getting bunched together. Good luck figuring out which one was the original. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what platforms is Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures 
Um, yeah, so it is available right now on MetaQuest and on Steam. That is Quest 2 and up, so that's Quest 2 Pro and 3. And on Steam, PC VR, so it is VR required, and so all PC VR headsets should work. We are looking at other platforms, but that's uh, not announced yet. Yes, yeah, so I played on my MetaQuest 3. It's great. Works, works a treat. Yeah, one yeah. thing we can say is that we are making a version for Quest 3 that will be specific to that platform with enhancements uh, for the visuals. Yes, it's a bit of a beast, isn't it? So we can can actually do that. Although it doesn't run that hot, I've found. But yeah, yeah, good stuff. I, I do not regret that purchase. I did upgrade from a 2. So yeah, big fans of the Quest. It's good stuff. So here we are. It's been wonderful having you both on the show. It really has. It's been Fantastic guests and very open and honest the design and creation of Ziggy's adventures. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you as well. well. It's been, yeah, it's been a good time. And there it is. Another episode in the can. Thank you so much for listening. It really is very much appreciated. Next episode, we have 480. Wow, that's a number. We feature Core Keeper. And I'll be talking to Frederick Prantera and Julian Seifert Ozulski of Pugstorm. They're the developers of this extraordinarily deep and complex game that keeps on and on giving to the player. The more they pile in, it's it's one of those, everyone. It's a survivor builder, but it's, yeah, really, really rewards the player's curiosity and their drive to continue. We'll talk about that next week, but until then, bye! You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com.